I think the recent innovations we've seen around uh, ChatGPT and the GPT series of models and other what they're called large language models or foundation models is genuinely revolutionary. I think before you dive into applications, we need to just pause and reflect how groundbreaking this is. Welcome to the IEA podcast. My name is Matthew Lesh and I'm the Director of Public Policy and Communications here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalizing policy question to a top political and economic thinker. Today's question, should we fear AI? The emergence of ChatGPT has reignited fears about artificial intelligence, destroying jobs, uh, potential security risks, bias, as well as even the existential dread of what if something truly does pass humanity's level of intelligence. To discuss this topic, I'm very excited to be joined by James Lawson, who's a senior fellow at the Adam Smith Institute. He's previously worked in government as a special advisor. Uh, he's worked for Microsoft in their defense business, as well as consulted extensively on, on AI, cloud computing and other technologies. James, let's start for, with the basics here. What is artificial intelligence? Something we hear so much about. Yeah, it's an interesting word and I think often gets confused in the uh, in, in, in the press and confused because of science fiction and other genres. Um, I think for the purposes of this discussion and for the purposes of the policy discussion, uh, artificial intelligence is much easier to define. Um, let's start with the broadest definition. It's an artificial form of intelligence. It's <laughs> a, um, typically a computer program or uh, other device that is able to display some form of uh, human intelligence. You could even argue with this broadest definition that a calculator is in some way an artificial intelligence, just a very limited one uh, and, and one that works in a very programmatic uh, and a very restrained uh, way. When we think about artificial intelligence today, the AI um, that's causing so much buzz, that's being adopted by businesses and uh, starting to be adopted by governments, is a slightly different variant. It's a more specific definition that I think is uh, useful to use. Um, and uh, under the surface, uh, AI is, uh, is driven by machine learning uh, algorithms, machine learning models um, that allow the computer uh, to, to learn over time as it sees more data points. So in the past, when you wanted to create an application or a computer program, um, coders would have to sit there and programmatically write out the specific instructions of what they wanted the system to do. Whereas now, the systems are learning from data. And over recent years, we've seen these machine learning applications become much more powerful as we've, uh, as we've advanced the use of deep learning algorithms, so more advanced, more capable uh, uh, technologies. Um, we've also massively increased the amount of data that we are throwing at them. Um, and we've increased the amount of computing power, mm. which is a sheer uh, amount of, uh, of, 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 of processing units and the type of uh, processing units that we use. All of this combined has led to uh, a new wave of hype around artificial intelligence, but also a new wave of adoption. And then most recently, we've seen additional innovations on, on, on that trend that I've described, even more compute, uh, much more powerful compute, uh, and new algorithms, new techniques, new transformers and things um, that uh, mean that AI is, 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 is entering a new phase. So I think for, for those who have had an opportunity to play around with ChatGPT, uh, it is astonishing just how 
much, I suppose, faster than what people are expecting this technology has come to some kind of meaningful fruition. Like, like you can go to ChatGPT, even the earlier free version that still exists, 3.5, I believe, um, and, you know, ask it to write you a poem or a play uh, or find some piece of, bits and pieces of information. Um, and it will construct a sentence as if it is a often a sentient being. Now, there's a lot of issues, particularly in, in the, the, the earlier editions of ChatGPT, that'll basically make things up, it'll, it'll hallucinate certain facts and certain things. But I guess, like humans, we also hallucinate and make up certain facts when 100% accurate information is not necessarily perfect. Um, and it, it just seems like an extraordinary leap forward in this technology. Um, what are some of the kind of applications of that? What, what, do you, what do you think the impact of this is going to potentially be? Yeah, so I, I think the recent innovations we've seen around uh, ChatGPT and the GPT series of models and other what they're called large language models or foundation models is genuinely revolutionary. It, um, I think, caught me uh, a little bit by surprise just how quickly it's come about and how much they've improved. Uh, when GPT-2 came out, that was really, really impressive. And then I think 3 was just on another level and, and, and uh, the most recent release of 4 is really, really astonishing as well. Um, and I think before you dive into applications, we need to just pause and reflect how groundbreaking this is. I was talking to my father about it the other day, who's less technologically literate than I am, and he's aware of it, but hasn't really seen the, 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 the magic. Um, and um, with GPT-4 as an example, um, it is now able to pass the university level exams, come up with answers to questions that are of that level of uh, of, of, of reasoning um, and that in a way can be quite scary right it, that um, immediately uh, makes you think about almost infinite applications across the service sector and the way we where we work today in a way that the machine learning models and, uh, and and even the deep learning models that we were applying just two three years ago in businesses um, were really exciting, really powerful, massive boost of productivity, able to identify things that humans wouldn't necessarily identify, but um, but didn't seem quite as revolutionary in the way, um, the way that they could potentially impact the entire service sector. Um, I think the most obvious and immediate applications are already starting to emerge, and you see this with Microsoft planning to integrate uh, their models from OpenAI into the Office suite and Google looking to do the same. Um, and within those, it's things like being able to summarize really large passages of text really quickly. Um, rather than needing to read a whole journal article, you can specify that you want it summarized in 200 words and get a really good summary in the space of seconds, something that would have taken you a lot of time in, in the past. So I think back to my university days, how would this change how you approach an essay crisis when you've got a deadline <laughs> to meet would you really read all of the all the journal articles or would you just get some good summaries and uh, and, and and go from there um if you think about uh, the other side so there's summarization but what about creating uh text um what does this mean for bloggers what does this mean for journalists um and uh and 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 how do how how do they adapt to this this technology um there was a, a recent study looking at the GPT-4 model in particular um, and the susceptibility of different jobs to automation. Um, and it's remarkable just how many tasks and just how many jobs are susceptible to, to automation. Um, and it's really the, the manual tasks um, that are left. Um, yeah, there's that, there's that whole irony here that um, when it comes to kind of 
tasks that require certain kind of like physical dexterity, um, robotics has not quite caught up. So, you know, even in Amazon warehouse, there's still, there's, there's at the most advanced level, there's robots that move things around the warehouse, but still people have to pick them out at your specific order and then it, and then it can go on from there. Um, it seems like very much ChatGPT goes after the white collar professional jobs. Yeah. You know, it can do the LSAT, the classic um, legal entrance exam in America at a, at a pretty kind of decent level. It can um, it can do the SATs at a pretty decent level. It can do all the, these kind of um, almost things that here at a think tank we might want to do, which is, you know, write an opinion piece or, you know, come up with a list of ideas or even write a report. Now, it's probably not necessarily um, the same standard of quality we might expect from a, from a think tank just yet, but it's it's on the cusp and it's a useful, you know, I've even been using it as uh, a useful way to just summarize information or, or come up with some ideas in a way you might have used to have gone to Google and read through a bunch of articles. You can just put in the same questions to chat GPT. It's much faster, I'll just give you that list. Um, I'm interested to then unpack in, in that sense, which is, um, this general idea that Google would be a monopolist forever when it came to search, you know, had 90% plus search um, uh, um, take up in the UK. Now it seems like Bing integrating um, this uh, ChatGPT technology, at least for some users so far, could completely ruin um, this idea that the Google, the Google is monopolist and provide far better search just as a starting point. So before I answer the question on the monopolist, one other application I really liked um, that I saw in the recent demos that I think is worth raising as well is um, integrating it into your video calls. So no one really likes taking notes in a meeting. Um, it's hard to catch up if you join the meeting late. And then afterwards, um, you know, you agree various actions and then how often do those actions mm -hmm. actually um, actually take place. So um, that was one that really stood out to me, stood out to me as well. Um, and I definitely agree on your comment about uh, the white collar jobs uh, ironically now seem to be the target. I was uh, joking to a, a friend of mine who's a forensic accountant, really top of his uh, top of his field, uh, and this article said that he was 100% susceptible to automation, <laughs> whereas if he became a dishwasher, um, he would uh, and, 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 and uh, repurpose his skills, um, then he was 0% susceptible to automation from, from this model. But to your question on uh, Google then and, uh, and monopolies, um, I think Monopolies in the tech domain are, uh, are an interesting discussion more broadly, right? Um, I think the various regulatory bodies that try to maintain competitive markets have struggled with technology innovation. Um, they see a dominant player in terms of raw metric of usage. They say, oh, they've got 80% market share, therefore we must now crack down upon them. Um, and in doing that, I think they have misunderstood the dynamism of the tech sector um, and just how easy it is for new innovations to come in and to disrupt um, disrupt uh, that market position. Um, if we look at the tech sector as a whole, I think it's actually really quite competitive. Um, even things like cloud computing that require huge amounts of hardware investment, there are multiple players uh, Microsoft, Google, AWS are all massive, and there are many others like IBM and Oracle that also compete in, in that space. Um, and so then when it comes to search, search, surely that's the one that Google have a monopoly in because over 90% of search is, uh, is, done, is done through Google in, in the Western world at least. Um, and people joke that the first search people do on other search engines is for Google so that they can continue <laughs> their, uh, their search there. Um, I, I'm not so convinced 
Um, I think uh, that people have been moving to other forms of uh, consumption on the internet in general, uh, increasingly finding their news and finding their information through social media channels, increasingly finding it through short form video uh, like TikTok as an example. And actually a lot of people do search on TikTok today, not the search of I want an IEA uh, paper on uh, Friedrich Hayek, but it is a form of search. Um, and then when we think about the AI models, bringing it back, I think, to the heart of your question, um, Google have been a little bit slower to release their models and to integrate them. So Microsoft are the first ones to really make that, uh, that, that leap from the big players integrating GPT into, into Bing. Um, and um, I think they've been very successful with yeah. that. They've, they've caused Google to sit up. Have they eaten into their market share yet? It, it, there's a small and significant uptick, but it will take time yeah. to see what the real results are. Well, it kind of shows the good effect of competition. So that's on the positive side, more tech competition. On the negative side, I think there's a lot of fear. And this is something, a paper you've, you've previously written from the ASI on this topic about, you know, are, are the robots coming to take our jobs? Now, you, you put forward quite a, a strong argument to say, you know, previous Luddite concerns about job losses have been greatly exaggerated. We always managed to adapt um, improve the economy. Is that still your view, even seeing um, this, this new technology? Or are we in the face of a jobs apocalypse? So I'm an optimist and I'll declare that immediate bias uh, from, from the start. Um, every single time in the past when people have said that a new technology was going to result in a jobs crisis and mass unemployment, they were wrong. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's like the boy who cried wolf, except he's cried it 50 times now. Um, and that's not to say that new technology doesn't um, displace people in particular industries or particular skills. But what typically happens is that more jobs are created afterwards, that by becoming more productive, uh, workers' wages go up. And through innovation, we actually on net create more jobs. Um, and I certainly historically felt that to be the case with AI as well. Um, and I think about all of the tech jobs that have been created over the last decade that we wouldn't have imagined in the, in the past. Uh, a good example would be something like a drone pilot to take videos um, at parties and events is not something uh, that one would have anticipated as a career path in, 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 the, in the past. Um, and so I still do retain uh, that hopeful optimism. But as, as going back to what we were saying earlier, with the introduction and deployment and the speed of progress with la large language models and foundation models, uh, I am now starting to have my doubts. Uh, I am starting to worry a lot more about it, both from uh, an employment perspective and from a uh, AI safety perspective. Um, I think what we need to monitor very carefully is the extent to which new jobs are being uh, created and to what extent job jobs are being lost and monitor those two carefully and then see if we need to you know, change, our, change our policy. And then I think on the AI safety front, um, there needs to be a lot more research and a lot more analysis let, let, into that scenario. Let, let's unpack those kind of safety issues. So that this is the kind of the classic 
AI alignment question. Will, will the AI's values be aligned with our own? And the, and the classic scare story here is, you know, you tell an AI to make paper clips and then it goes to the extreme and destroys the planet looking at for every last resource it can to make paper clips. Now, I'm not sure a large language model can do that just yet, but there have been uh, a bunch of safety issues raised by this. You know, should the AI model be able to give you instructions uh, for how to make a nuclear weapon or um, how to hurt yourself uh, if, if you're someone who's you know, suffering mental health issues and what kind of issues should, I, I suppose, be programmed out of the AI. Uh, and is there also a risk of there? And I think Facebook released a very, like, uh, a very lightweight AI that you can basically run yourself. And once you can run the AI yourself, um, somebody's going to run an AI with no guardrails like um, OpenAI is currently doing so. So, so what's your view in terms of addressing some of those kind of safety concerns? How far should uh, an AI maker go, I suppose, in censoring their, self-censoring their content for users? Yeah, um, so I think we can already see that there is an alignment problem. Um, and you can see this in the implementations that have, been, that have already come out in ChatGPT or, or through Bing. Um, some of them are quite dramatic. Uh, where you have Bing telling the user that they're a bad user and they must stop. <laughs> uh, or, or I remember seeing one where they told the user they're in love with them and, and was actually quite manipulative in text. Like I can imagine somebody uh, not quite realising that this is AI they're speaking to and getting you know, completely um, controlled by it. Yes, yeah, so if that's how capable it is today, imagine after a few more releases when they've done, for an additional data added, additional computing power. And I think... Um, the reason why there's a growing movement, people who are really worried on almost an existential level, is they worry that once it becomes an AGI, once it becomes better... AGI being a general intelligence, yep. you can just do pretty much anything. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a general intelligence that's smarter than uh, humans in effectively every domain, that, it, that, that, that in, in every domain. Um, when it reaches that level, if it's not aligned to our interests, what will it go and do? Go and do next, and that's why why they're scared from an existential perspective. And though that movement, those people will look at the the charts and say, "Well, the computing power being thrown at, at this problem um, is increasing exponentially. It's not um, a Moore's law uh, doubling. It's actually an exponential increase in in terms of the amount of compute and the amount of data we're throwing at these models." Um, and so they're genuinely, genuinely very worried. But it doesn't need to be that side, that doesn't, it hasn't been that, that dramatic. Um, I think if you went in to see some policymakers, you went over to the cabinet office and told them, I'm worried an AGI is gonna kill us all in the next year, they'd say you're mad and laugh you out, laugh you out of the room. But there are, I think, more immediate concerns. So um, I think one example that comes to mind for me is uh, around cybersecurity, where we can see that these models are very, very potent at writing code. And, 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 and this is in the context of producing things and creating new applications and making our developers more productive. That's really exciting and positive. Um, but if it's able to write positive code, it can also write negative code. It could um, create ransomware and identify vulnerabilities in, in, uh, in important systems like, our, in, like the NHS. Um, and so you could imagine a scenario where someone asks, a, asks us a question and it is able to uh, run searches and tell people to run code and somebody runs some highly potent malicious code and all of a sudden um, we are unable to access important health services or uh, planes fall out of the sky. So that sort of scenario is, 
I think something genuinely quite, um, quite, quite scary, and it means that there is an important role for those AI labs in uh, in, in regulating in themselves. Here is, is the solution to the risk of AI also AI? So you know, if I think about encryption, if it, there's some potential that AI could figure out how to undermine encryption, probably they'd also use AI to strengthen encryption even beyond that. You know, is it the, the same logic that if we want to build systems that are secure in the future, we, we're probably going to need AI to help us build those as well? So I definitely agree that AI is going to be part of the positive side as well as on the, on the risk side. Um, and particularly in the security domain in helping you identify unusual activity faster, identify vulnerabilities and, and fix them. Um, so in a sense, I, I, I think you're right. Where it becomes scary is just the pace of change. Yeah. That what if the, the dark side advances more quickly than the, than, 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 than the light? And so um, I think that's why uh, the alignment problem is something that we should take seriously. That as a think tank that believes in free markets and limited government, um, that you should be considering uh, what role there might still be for government because um, at a, a foundational level, government is there to protect property rights, protect individuals and, and provide that system of rule of law uh, in which markets can operate and flourish. Um, and so if people are using AI for malicious intent that undermines that, yeah. that's something that you really need to worry about. So yeah, so I think another concern uh, a lot of people, particularly from the free market side, also have is the potential of, of political bias built into these models. And one example that was going around was that you could get uh, at least an earlier version of ChatGPT to say a very nice poem about Joe Biden, but if you put in the same exact poem for Donald Trump, um, it would refuse to say anything nice or, or good about him. Um, is there a concern that you, you kind of had those I suppose, progressive Silicon Valley values that, you know, some libertarians might be sympathetic to in some cases, but also have their own biases. And that becomes what is defined as AI safety. AI safety becomes just whatever, you know, to use the term woke um, ideas are, are present around a certain subset of people um, in America. I think it is a valid concern that um, the AI can present politically biased answers. And it's something that uh, the labs like OpenAI will need to be very cautious about, otherwise they will uh, inevitably face uh, a, a significant amount of political pressure and, and, and even regulation. And that problem is only going to become worse, I think, because um, there's a reinforcement loop in the way that you interact and chat with the, uh, with the AI. Um, so I can imagine more and more personalized models um, and potentially some models being biased by the user base that predominantly uses them, uh, which may not reflect the overall population and their political views. Um, so it actually could become could become worse. I suspect as well that's something that ultimately competitive pressure will be able to solve, at least to some extent, which is if there are issues with the models, people will go and use a different service if, if they're not yep. happy with the bias. Um, what do you think the kind of, uh, some final thoughts, I suppose, on some of the policy solutions here? Is it, um, you know, UBI, which is taught quite a lot, if there is mass job losses, we should just give everyone a bit of income. Um, is it quite heavy state-controlled regulation of AI to stop it from doing anything risky? Do we need to say, actually, no, it's time to stop any, any further development of ChatGPT until we work out what in the world is going on here? What would you say in terms of policy responses? Yeah. So on the employment side, I think um, we will need to overhaul the welfare system in some way, particularly if the more dramatic scenarios play out. Uh, a UBI or I think perhaps better a negative income tax because that can be uh, combined with a simplification of the tax system in general, which is much needed in this country. 
um, may, may, may become appropriate. The big challenge there, I think, for people from the free market side of the debate is how do you maintain the incentive to still try and go out to work? Do you put a limit on how long or, uh, or, or activities you must do in order to continue to receive uh, these welfare payments? Um, I think that that's an important debate to, to, to thrash out. Um, and then I think on the AI safety side, I don't have that much faith in, in our policymakers, if I'm honest. Uh, and that's not of any particular party, I just think in general, in that there's a pacing problem where we see that the speed at which technology is improving and the speed at which entrepreneurs are able to make new innovations outpaces the speed at which our legislators are able to understand and interpret and reflect and then come up with good policies mm. in response. Um, so I think there's going to be a very important role for self-regulation, for um, cooperation between different private companies, um, for things like voluntary conventions uh, in terms of their usage and, um, and, and, and uh, their, their um, uh, deployment in, 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 in the public domain. Yeah, I think a, a good potential example of this is the online safety bill, which is a whole mess of a bill in itself. But as far as I could see in its current structure, wouldn't even apply to chat GPT because it's not user-to-user -user interaction. Um, and in that respect, there's, there's all sorts of lawmaking, which is, which is always kind of stuck slightly in the past and, and it's very hard for them to catch up. So I think that kind of, you know, at, at the very least for a first instance, self-regulatory approach is definitely one that um, should be looked to. Well, James, thank you so much for, for joining the IA podcast. It's been an excellent, fascinating and frightening and enlightening conversation about AI and, and, and the future of our world and, and technology. Um, if you are enjoying the, the IA podcast, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and you can also watch a, a video version of the IA uh, material on our YouTube channel.